Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Monsters Playbook. Today what we are going to be doing is doing a book club review of the second act of the second season of the Cover Story campaign. We're going to be talking about the mystery arcs Sigma, Downtime, Chicago, and Double Cross, and checking in with our characters and our players and seeing where they are as we head into what will be the final act of the season and something approaching Endgame. With me, in addition to our usual cast of characters, is special guest Sarah Baker, Hello. who Hi, Sarah. plays fan favorite Tiff Torres. So let's uh, let's talk about it. Let's get talking about it. Can I just say, as a quick aside, this like whole chunk of mysteries as a whole, what the fuck, Johnny? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is happening? Every single arc, you're gonna be like, what the. Things just like progressively are like escalating every arc, which is great. But it's like when I look back and I think at like the start of season two to kind of like where things have gone now and like just the things that have been building, like, good job. (laughs) It feels like it had been like a long time between like arc one and arc two, like the Mm -hmm. events and stuff. But then, like, as they've we've been releasing the episodes, I'm just like, oh, those happened really fast. Mm-hmm. And it was just like back to back punches. Yep. yep. Yeah, we, we go dense. And I was going to say, in, in terms of the density of this, this is a very complex mystery. Like, I mean, just all of these mysteries together, just very, very complex, deep storyline of, of everything. So congrats. <laughs> Can we just fight a basic like werewolf or ghost or zombie sometime? Where's the fun sometime? in that? <laughs> we can get our anger out and just beat the shit out of it. So I saw someone on Twitter pointed out the limitation of D&D style games. You'll be like, who are the real monsters in this situation? And the game will be like, can you climb this wall in the rain? <laughs> <laughs> this game is built to be weird and horrible and traumatic i'm not sorry this being a book club episode we will be running it like a talk show with five hosts so we each have prepared a set of questions for each other and we are going to discuss those questions and of course their answers first up obviously me (laughs) so i want to start with john oh geez mark had kind of a transformation at the end of this arc how do you feel about mark's promotion you're kind of a badass now think you're gonna stay weird um nah. <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't quite know how to answer that because being being weird and being badass at the same time are two very mutually exclusive things <laughs> cheat codes <laughs> but like I, I i think he's it is something that has happened to him and it is in his past it, a part of his past and i think that helps ground him a little bit he's still is not sure exactly what part of him this is, like percentage wise. Like, is this his whole past? Like, he's this prince that was just always and he just happened to forget recently or whatever. Or is this something that is has been going on a lot longer? Like, is this a huge part of his past or whatever? Is more stuff going to start happening? It's a memento situation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like, so I, I think this gives him a bit of clarity, even though. He doesn't fully know what it means yet, but it's it's something that is tangible yet. I've mentioned before that I've, I definitely feel most at peace with just kind of doing stuff 
to Mark and Mark's bad backstory. Yeah. Somehow doesn't bother me to just say, yeah, this is true about you now, John, and see how you deal with it. <laughs> just run with it. Just make it make it into my own. But yeah, I think really what it comes down to is, I mean, especially in the, the past few episodes and stuff like that, Mark just kind of finding his place gives him a bit of clarity. So I love that for you. Maya, who's in worse shape at the end of this act? Theo or Casey? Probably Theo. Yeah, that was a gimme. (laughs) (laughs) Why? She seems perfectly fine. (laughs) Yeah, Theo's traumatized, broken, lost. All of the negative words that you can think of that a character is going on a journey is having. But Casey lost her van. Oh, yeah. I mean, that makes me mad. <laughs> maybe Casey. Maybe it's Casey oh, then. No, I had forgotten about that. <laughs> no, it's Theo. Like, Casey's avoiding it all and just sort of focusing on the objective. But Theo's lost. Theo doesn't know what to do. Theo has no direction. Theo's probably has been acting out in negative, unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. So I think Theo doesn't know where to put the emotions and feelings she has, whereas Casey knows where she can put. Casey knows exactly where to put them in between the sights of my sniper rifle. It's not healthy, but at least it's clear. Yeah, like, like I mean, you could are like, I wouldn't say Casey's in the worst shape. I would say Casey is in a shape, um, (laughs) in that. She's trying to navigate and come to terms with what years has become. She's she has like a direction, like she's got a purpose. Whereas, yeah, like what you were saying with Theo, she's a little aimless at the moment. She just had that like opportunity to go to Chicago, and then that just got taken out from under her. Yeah, Theo has zero to negative direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Lauren. In Act Two, we get to meet Anna. Uh, What are some of the challenges in playing two characters who actually interact with each other a lot? And Oh, my God. More interestingly, because that's actually probably a question for Maya. uh, How did you go about making Anna your own after her life starting as a Johnny-controlled NPC? This is hard to say. So, like... With Anna and Kira, it was a, it was definitely a lot easier for them to like RP uh, previously when you were running Anna as an NPC for obvious reasons. <laughs> just for, just pure logistics. Like you, I actually kind of avoid having uh, Anna and Kira talking to each other um, because it's awkward. It's awkward talking to yourself. Like props to you for doing it all the time. <laughs> but like I kind of try to avoid it honestly. But the the few times that I do. I think just trying to like stay grounded in like kind of what's where are they at? Like what's their headspace? And like a lot of the times with like Anna, you know, she is the protector playbook right now. So it's it's usually like, you know, making sure that Kira is okay. And with Kira, she's kind of like she's always kind of in mission mode, like similar to Casey. I feel like those two are the most grounded in like the here and now, like this is what we need to focus on. Whereas Anna is kind of like, oh, but no, but how are you? Like, let's just take a moment. Let's take a breather, like whatever. And just kind of trying to remember that and like kind of how they approach life in general. Mm -hmm. But then as for the, like, how is it going from having her being an NPC to somebody that I control? Yeah, that was an interesting challenge and something that I kind of, to be honest, like struggled with at times with Anna because that was like a little bit of 
Johnny, what would she say? Yeah, or like not even that, just like trying to find like her own like unique thing and like how I would play her. Because you want, I mean, you want to have your characters be different, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't want it to just be the same character. And so like there was stuff that like, I feel like earlier Kira would have been a little bit more like jokey about some things. Once I had Anna, I was like, I need to kind of like tone that back a little bit because it was like there was too much character bleed between the two of them. Yeah. And so like kind of getting a handle on that and figuring out like where the differences are between the two characters, especially with Anna too, trying to figure out who she was apart from Kira. Um, because all of her life she had been kind of with her and that was her focus. And so that's a big a big thing that moving forward for Anna that she's that I was thinking about and that I know that Anna was thinking about too is like I kind of want to make something for myself. That's why she got the job. That's why she got all the, you know, some of the things that she's trying to do to build her own identity. Mm-hmm. And so as much as I sometimes struggle with like figuring out the identity between those two characters, Anna is also struggling because she doesn't know. <laughs> like, interesting. So I don't know. I've kind of I lean into it at some points. I was just gonna say with that character bleed thing, like you know how you were you, you were talking about separating them a little mm-hmm. bit. Like I think the 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 events that were kind of you know that that we've been dealing with and stuff like that over time has has worn on Kira a little bit and I think it it warrants that separation a little bit I feel like she's you know there's a lot on her and she's not as cheerful <laughs> as as she was and stuff and oh yeah things get piled on in season two that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah so I mean it's definitely on brand I think that that separation yeah. there outside of just doing it for the character bleed aspect of it but yeah. I think it all fits. I also think like playing two characters that are also siblings, I feel like is like a level harder than playing two characters who have a unrelated background whatsoever. Yeah, it it is because there's like a kind of a built-in dynamic that they're supposed to have and it's like how do you kind of figure that out and I don't know, it's just it's just yeah. a different challenge and like making sure that they are different but they're also like they are sim- siblings so they should be like recognizable in some capacity as like having the same, you know, upbringing, I guess. I don't know. Well, and that's an interesting way to put it too, that in a way you're playing three characters, that you're playing Kira, you're playing Anna, and you're playing their relationship. Yeah. That you have to like, you can't just react to each thing that the person is saying. You have to react with a bunch of built-in assumptions. Yeah, and like in the latest... Uh, arc that we just did, the double cross arc. Anna, a lot of stuff was coming to a head with Anna. She was feeling massively um, inferior Mm. and she was really struggling to feel like, how do I fit in? How do I help out in this? That's something that she struggles with. Like, it's an ongoing thing where it's like, who am I? And like, how do I fit in? How do I help? And with Kira, like, that was her identity was like, I'm here to protect Kira and I can't even do that. And all of that's happening in the Chicago and the Double Cross arc Mm -hmm. where it's like twice in a row, like just two gut punches. Like, I couldn't be there to help my sister. So she's really struggling. But Anna is the type that suffers in silence and We'll just laugh it off and joke it off and she's going to, you know, maybe go get a drink and just ignore it. Super healthy. Speaking of people who keep everything locked up inside, (laughs) Sarah. Who, me? I know. Yes. Not you, your character. (laughs) What's the difference? (laughs) Oh, right to my soul. Sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. 
I know Tiff primarily as a teenager from our previous Monsterville campaign. How do you think Tiff has changed since her surly teenage adventures? And how do you think she has absolutely not changed? Oh, man. I feel like the core of her is absolutely the same. I feel like everything else is just kind of like a wall that's been constructed around her. She's grown in that she's able to listen to a authority a little better because that's most of her job now mm-hmm. you'd hope so <laughs> she, she's grown in the in the ways that she's like had to to be like a functioning adult in this world um but i think in terms of like interpersonal relationships and vulnerability not a lot of progress i like that you're like she's just now gotten more expert at constructing the wall that stands between her and other yeah, people. Yeah, she's like, this is a convincing facade, right? Like, It was kind of interesting, too, I think, because at the time we were still, I believe we were still playing Monsterville when we recorded these episodes that you were in. And so yeah. it was interesting that I could I could grok a, a difference that was like Teen Tiff was much more sort of outbursty and in many ways more active. Part of that just being a, a function of being a guest star in a show and not one of its stars, but also like much more of a clear boundary being drawn that this, this, it really did feel like I've done this before. I've tried to help and I'm not doing it again. I'm really, thank you. I'm really glad that like that came across. I felt like it was, it was definitely like very challenging. Like how am I going to make these characters feel like separate and distinct from one another to myself, I guess, like to your listeners, they don't know teen Tiff at all, but I was very stressed about it. Um, Cause like, I wanted her to feel like true to her teenage self. I wanted it to feel like somebody that had grown up from that background and like had those experiences. And um, I think that, yeah, that's exactly how I would see her being is like that rebellious streak is still very much there in the center of her. And I'm sure she still like grits her teeth when somebody tells her to do something X way, but she's, you know, keeps it inside, keeps a straight face and it's like, okay, boss. Um, But, you know, she jumps at the opportunity with the drum stuff to be like, okay, maybe I can like pull some strings here and like have a little more influence, you know, (laughs) not to join them. Something for me to tear down. Obviously, but yeah. It's like all of the things that she did as a teenager, she's just now better at for better and worse. She's yeah. pu- she's really she's pushing people away. She's really good at pushing people away. She's got the shadow magic. She's really good at the shadow magic. Yeah, I think I think what Tiff, what, I think what remained like quintessentially the same for Tiff is that 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 deep feeling of like, what am I doing wrong? Like she still has not gotten that core piece of like, why does everybody oh. keep getting mad at me? Yeah. Why do my friends always leave? Mm-hmm. Surely Hasn't I'm clicked. not the problem here. <laughs> no, absolutely not. This is just a recurring problem in my life since day one. And I haven't gotten to the bottom of it. Better move on and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just get really good at my job. Yep, totally. Well, that actually dovetails really perfectly into one of my questions that I have for you, Sarah. So maybe I'll start with you and then go back. Sure. So... Kira and Tiff had a little bit of shadow therapy where Tiff admitted that the person that meant the most to her was the queen. Since then, Kira has kind of continued to challenge Tiff on listening to the queen, who is clearly abusive to her. (laughs) Has Tiff started to listen to this? Is it starting to sink in? Or is she just as committed to the queen as ever? Where is she at? Man, (laughs) I mean, Tiff has definitely heard variations of this throughout her life and i Mm -hmm. think her response has been to you know cut those people out who have been telling her the truth 
because uh, she doesn't want to hear it. I think Kira definitely scared her a little bit because of like the similarities that they have. And I think Tiff being like, or Kira being like, you know, I, I see what's going on. I've been here before. Mm-hmm. I think that was uncomfortable for Tiff. And I think that Kira's particular like forceful brand of like, we're going to have a vulnerable, intimate moment right now. And there's nothing you can do about <laughs> it. Like, I can relate. <laughs> I think that was really effective for Tiff. I think she yep. needed somebody to do that. Kara will always be there for you to do that. Yep. I will always be there whether, whether you, you like it or, or not. not. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of the only way Tiff would ever have that conversation. Exactly. You have to kidnap, yep. therapize this girl. I definitely think it unlocked a little stuff. Something is like rattling around in the brain. You know, she's like washing her face mm-hmm. at night and she gets that little jolt and she's like, ugh. wow that's specific and then i actually have a bonus question for you here but i feel like it's kind of on the same track sure so speaking of kira and tiff's uh dynamic uh kira sort of stuck her neck out for tiff to kind of help her with what was going on with the author what did it mean to tiff to have somebody that was finally willing to trust her for a change a lot. I think that was like a huge sticking point for Tiff. Like going back to that feeling of like, what am I doing wrong? You know, like why do people continually distrust me? I think, I think it meant a lot to her when she was like, you know, she asked Kira like plainly, I need you to trust me. And Kira like listened. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of like was the, that like self-centeredness and stubbornness in Tiff. Like I think having that somebody actually like agree to that. She was like, oh, oh, okay. So like we're not, she was fully expecting that to be a fight. Mm-hmm. And I think that it wasn't like, yeah, I think that I think that meant a lot. Yeah, I've, I yeah, I really loved that whole exchange because it was like Kira could she could have very easily been like, no, like you, you haven't proven yourself at all. But she's I think she kind of was like, OK, I'll be willing to trust you. Yeah. If this is going to work. Fine. I'll invest that because I think you're worth it. Oh, yeah. I really liked that whole exchange. It was good. It was very good. I loved it so much and I felt like it was like the saving, it was like the necessary piece for like them to continue working forward as a group, you know, without mm-hmm. everybody feeling yeah. so burned and just, so good job, Kira, <laughs> really holding the group Yay. together. <laughs> John. Oh boy. <laughs> so my question for you is that we learn during the downtime arc that Lowry isn't just a ghost that's been haunting Mark. He's family of some sort. And we further learn that Mark used to be a prince of the sky. What does Mark think about this past life that he had in there? And how does he reconcile that with who he is now? Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to the question that, you know, what is what does Mark kind of think about his, uh, his new status? I, I just think the contrast between his life that he was beginning to start to know when Mark was younger and stuff like that. He remembers going to school, having a normal life. Then suddenly he's not having this normal life and he's, Mm -hmm. he's weird and awkward and things like that and trying to just find his way. And then suddenly somebody throws a knife in and says, you were this heroic person in the past. And he's just like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) (laughs) Just completely blindsides him. And back to this question of, of, of Lowry and stuff. I I think this contrast is, is just kind of overwhelming for him, but also kind of what I said before, you know, it's, it's grounding. It gives him a little bit of, understanding and and solidity i guess in the world um Mm -hmm. and so i I think he's 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 kind of like weirded out but also very excited and interested in finding out what he did because it's 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 this again just kind of a sense of fitting in and like oh my god like i was this this heroic person at one point and stuff like that what happened to me you know 
and 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 that just I think furthers his drive to to explore and and figure things out. But I mean, yeah, he's excited to kind of figure out what that means. <laughs> I'm extremely glad to hear you say that. I want to interrupt here because the thing I've sort of come to realize is that building these mysteries and building these campaigns at this scale it's really like I put stuff in front of you guys and you have to figure out how to move forward. But then also character wise, I feel like you've put stuff in front of me and I have to figure out how that makes sense backwards. <laughs> right, right. And like Mark was the the big obvious one where it was like, okay, Mark's weird. Mark talks to ghosts. Mark has wings because he feels like it. What's the scenario? <laughs> what could be happening behind the scenes or previously that would make that all of that this. make sense? Oh, How you, can I? Johnny is the king of doing that. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Johnny's like, let me let me pull some strings in the background. And we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Wait till the end of Act Three, and then we can talk about another part of that. That like you have this thing, and how can I make that make sense? Mm-hmm. How can I come up with something that has happened to you or will happen to you that will that will check all of these different boxes? And I think that like Mark's whole thing of why don't I fit in? Why do I have these powers? He did start wondering about it for so much of his life. He just didn't and was like, yeah, sure, ghosts. But once he started wondering about it, then you started tripping over clues and then you get exactly. this big revelation. And now it's like, oh, some of this makes sense now. Yep. I feel like the beginning part of this this act two is as we're calling it. Mark is like initially like super apprehensive, I think, of a lot of the stuff about there and he's just like, I want a normal life and like I don't I'm just care. kind of shunning it, keeping it out You're of my You're shunning purview, it. You're yeah. really kind of trying to keep it separate, I think, because maybe there's like some fear of what you maybe what it was or like that it was trying to like get you to come back or I don't know. But I found that interesting because because by the end of this like act, you're kind of like embracing it, like kind of like maybe I can make this fit into my life now. Well, and and I, I knew that there was kind of a kind of a weird background coming or whatever. <laughs> and then when 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 it started turning a little bit more positive, uh, you know, from from a certain couple clues that I, I've tripped over and stuff like that, it it became a lot more supported and attainable. I think I think before it was like, oh, God, I'm going to turn into this this demon that you know is is you know in that in that vision we saw early on of me becoming a demon or whatever i mean it's like do i want to harness this power and turn you know instinctually i was like do i try to harness this power and make it into something that is positive or or will that consume me or whatever and i was like i don't know about this um and then all of a sudden it's just like oh you had this 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 other background of the the family and I, i don't know it just it it made it easier to kind of swallow that pill. <laughs> right. Nope. I totally understand that. Johnny, my next question is for you. All right. Let's talk about there. Where <laughs> did you come up with the idea of there and its kings? How long had this been percolating for you? And was Mark always going to be a prince of the sky? Or was that something that you decided on the spot when he changed his playbook to the divine? John, you did me a lot of favors by switching to the divine. <laughs> that worked so good. I got you, man. And so, so that that one's easy. No, I had not planned for that at all, even kind of. You knew there was a connection to like there, but you didn't know what it was. I just imagine Johnny in profile mode one yes. night after the game. <laughs> yes, it's all coming yeah, it together. Like, <laughs> likely. John, can I change my... My class of the divine, Johnny, profile <laughs> mode. Yes, you can. That actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, even go, just going into season two, I knew that there was the connection between him and there. I knew that there was 
I think in initially I had described it as like a raw consciousness, which I kind of still think is valid, you know, based. Yeah. But like having it shift to be kind of um, something more specific and more solid was just just real good. That was, was just fun. real fun. Thank fun. you for doing that, John. <laughs> High five. <laughs> <laughs> as far as there, uh, like most of the interesting ideas that I have, it is stolen. But I did do different <laughs> stuff to it. So I did it uh, largely as a prank on Maya because... <laughs> <laughs> The, Dr the Dresden Files books has a sort of alternate realm that is called the Never Never. Yeah. And I find that to be a silly name. Mm -hmm. So Fuck I was you. like. I All the Dresden Files fans hate you. <laughs> yes. I was like, I want something that's going to be quite serious as that place is, but I want to call it something silly. And so I called it there. <laughs> <laughs> and then as far as like. Once I sort of got the idea for the place, then it's it was a matter of I didn't want it to be as sprawling as the Never Never because that place has a whole lot of tie-ins to a bunch of actual real world mythology and mm -hmm. you know, sealy and unsealy courts and fairies and mm -hmm. wild hunts and so on and so forth. And I'm just I one don't want to do that much reading, and two find it so much more interesting to come up with my own stuff. Yeah, because you actually read the Dresden Files. Yeah, until the end. And then uh, <laughs> the insidest of jokes. And the kings actually wound up becoming so much more interesting and complex mm -hmm. than I ever planned for them to. Because I separated them out by these sort of, you know, ancient proto-human concepts. These like areas that would have been, you know, to our great great ancestors would have been spaces mm -hmm. of wonder that you would theorize about the sea and the sky and the stars they they're they're places they're things you can see but they're also concepts and then from there it became really interesting because they also kind of represent past present and future where like the sky tells you what when it is now you tell the future by the stars mm -hmm. and the sea is unfathomably ancient and they it just it i'm i'm really really pleased with with what there became and is so far and will become into the future. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Can't wait. I really, really like it. I want to say this out, <laughs> out loud, at least at least on some kind of a recording. We may or may not include it, but well, it does kind of tie in because at the end of Chicago, you meet the Council of Many, and that is the like modern day adults governing council of what had been in 2003 in the Monsterville campaign, the Under the Stairs kids. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about them, it's you're going to notice patterns of that and like the infinite hallway where like what's so great about them is that they are for reasons that don't make sense, a total catch all for anything weird that like they are beings from maybe folklore, maybe demonic realms, maybe there that all sort of got together at some point and were like, we're going to have to help each other blend in because the world is becoming more social and societal and mm -hmm. human. And our, all of our wild spaces are going away. So we're going to have to hide and we're going to have to help each other. Mm -hmm. I, I loved that so much. And I, lo I loved that I'm, I was able to bring it into the cover story to have just like, yeah, here's just going to be a stage where a bunch of weird people are going to stand <laughs> and they're all friends. <laughs> My last question I have for Maya, I have a couple questions for you. In the double cross arc, Casey pulls a very non-Casey move and tries to get most of Cross's team over to her side. 
Why did she feel compelled to help these people, and why did she ultimately decide to shoot Avery instead of arresting her? Um, I can answer the easy question first, which is, why did I shoot Avery? <laughs> um, because I, Casey tried to, I don't know if reason with her is the right phrasing, but just like tried to offer and give a second chance, and it was very clear after their interaction that Avery can't be saved. Mm -hmm. So by shooting her, it was kind of two birds, one stone in a way, like in a way saving the world from the monster that was Avery and maybe also saving Avery from herself. And maybe also at the end of their conversation, Casey was frustrated and just said, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) The truth comes out. There it is. Just didn't want to talk to her anymore, ever. As for the rest, kind of the same token. Casey wanted to offer them a second chance. She can understand and see that they were hurt from Cross and they themselves felt betrayed by the drum and quite possibly ears. And... Casey really wanted to show them and prove to them that the ears that they know is not the ears that she fell in love with is what she, this ears is not what she believes in. So giving them a second chance, giving them, I guess, hope Mm -hmm. is what Casey wanted to do and offering to help the remaining team of crosses, just trying to show them something nice. Like when was the last time anybody was nice to them or heard them? And Casey's also a bit of a, like, protector and, like, a helper. So being that she could see that they were hurting and had been hurt, maybe Casey saw a little bit of herself in them, too, being that she's been hurt by ears in the drum now. Okay, and then I'm going to ask my Theo question, too, because you have have two characters. During the Chicago and Double Cross arc, we see Theo make some questionable choices such as removing people's memories almost putting that eye in her face several times (laughs) what do you think is behind those decisions and impulses theo i think was trying to help and uh, i think just fix some of the mistakes i think i think just ultimately she was trying to help but but the way that she was choosing to help was maybe not the brightest By, like, removing the memories of that family that she first meets in Chicago, Thea was trying to protect and help her brother with the couple of times where Theo thought about putting the eye in her own eye. She was thinking, like, I don't have access to the power and the strength to face this problem Maybe if I use this thing, though, that would make me powerful enough. That was kind of what I was assuming. And I know that you took, you changed your playbook to the hex. Is your your hex thing power? Is that what it is? Magic is an addiction, I believe. Because that makes sense to me. I feel like a lot of the, the decisions that are maybe questionable are usually from a place of, one, Theo either, yeah, wanting to, like, help or it's like she feels pressured and she's like i want to get control of the situation so i'm gonna like 
assert some power on this or I want more power to get more control. So Yeah, I think she's maybe sometimes just sort of grasping at straws, but like if anything, like I look at Theo as a uh as a child that has trauma that doesn't realize that she has trauma and is not dealing with it at all. And also uh Theo's temptation as the hex is addiction. She mm-hmm. uses magic to do what you could do without it. My addition to this answer is that this becomes a part of Theo's arc going forward in a big way. She's looking She's looking for a path. She's looking for someone to tell her that things will be okay if you just do this. She's looking for someone, she's looking for a way forward that makes sense and no one's giving her one and all the ones she's finding for herself turn out not to work. So she's, I think that like, that's a lot of the casting about that she's doing is if I try this, will that make me happy? If I try that this, then will I not be scared anymore? I don't know if I would say, will this make me happy? I think it would be more, will this make them happy? Will this Aww. make them proud? Will this make them love me? That's so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters Playbook where <laughs> the real monsters are the friends I've made along the way. And nobody can hurt you as much as you hurt yourself. All right. Uh, well, that's it for me. Um, Sarah, you have questions for us? <gasps> yeah. You're going to make us all spill the tea? What do you think of Tiff? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Lauren, your question. What do you think of Tiff? Johnny, what do you think of Tiff? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. How did you know? This whole what's the difference between me and my character thing is starting to make a little more sense. <laughs> God, let's all calm down here. Okay, well, Maya clocked me for my question for Maya. I'm going to start this off. I'm going to ask a question that all the fans are thinking which is, what do you think the potential is for an enemies to lovers arc between Casey and Tiff right now, given where they left things in the last episode together? <laughs> oh, this is not fair! <laughs> do you want the Starting Casey? Hot. <laughs> do you want the Casey answer or the Maya answer? Both. Well, what's okay. the difference? There's a lot of difference. Um, so right, right now, Casey and Tiff are not on good terms. Casey has a very huge grudge uh, against Tiff for what happened at Casey's house. So as far as Casey's concerned, a scale of one to ten of... 10 being like, fuck yeah, let's fuck. And one, like, get out. So glad I asked this question. (laughs) Casey's probably a one. Okay, so there is a chance. Telling me there's a chance. I mean, (laughs) what is the bottom of the scale? Like, you're gonna, we're gonna have to Well, it could have been zero. We're gonna, okay, okay, okay. We're gonna have to have a couple of, uh, uh, redeeming moments with those two. We want them to uh, get serious. And I mean, there's also the fact that Casey has a girlfriend. Maya. Oh, I would love to have a enemies to friend relationship or more so. You're already outlining the fic, aren't you? I think a Tiff and Casey ship would be very hot and frustrating. Like, I think we've talked about this off camera sarah that like oh yeah that would be so much fun but it would never work out too similar very too similar both correct me if i'm wrong but is tiff also a workaholic oh yeah yeah casey's a huge workaholic as well what's the name 
Night Terror, <laughs> Terror Tiff, and Nightmare Davis. It's a pretty good name. You got to You got to. It's a pretty goddamn good name. <laughs> but I want to. I, I kind of want to uh, spitball back at you, Sarah, real quick. Were there times in this arc that Tiff or you put it out there for Casey, and then we just blindly? didn't see oh, yeah. it well <laughs> when oh, there's one comment where you're like oh coffee or something like <laughs> yep yeah yeah well at the beginning she was like so did you mean coffee or did you mean you know what i mean she was like trying to like gauge what the situation was are we having lunch or are we having lunch the, exactly and then there was the whole time where they were having the party and tiff was like oh we need a distraction you know what if uh you and I were like on the porch, <laughs> just making. I don't remember what we were. Concept. <laughs> I think we're gonna. Yeah, I think I think definitely the party I was not there, and I think Casey and I did not catch that. Uh, the coffee thing, like I was like, Mark did. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> oh, that was a good time. <laughs> so I guess my next question will be for Mark. It has nothing to do with the plot whatsoever but i want to know <laughs> if mark has ever considered matching halloween costumes for him and lowry and if so what they would be oh my god okay we haven't heard everybody else's question but this is my favorite question of the night <laughs> thank you mark would dress up as a a candle and he would put lowry on his head and he would floof up his feathers so he looks like a flame and he'd walk around. That's so delightful. <laughs> That's so cute. I think I just broke down. John Wanda remains the king of this game. I love that, and I love that you answered like immediately. Did you immediately. just come up with that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Doesn't even miss a beat. Like he's, you know, I brainstormed this for a couple of years, and uh, here's what I've come up with. Okay, now I want to ask, since it is spooky season, Lauren, what would Kira and Tommy's uh, couple costume be? And John, what would Mark and Theo's couple costume be? Oh, I feel like Kira and Tommy would do the Adams Family. Gormas and Morticia. <laughs> tall ass Gomez. Yeah, it would be a very tall Gomez. I don't know. That was the first one that came to my mind. Oh, you know what? You know what? I got this. Pitch it. Mark would be a toboggan and Theo would be riding him down the hill. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> From that one episode. Yep, yep, John, from that one episode. <laughs> I know, no, we, we know this. Mario, it would be... Oh, yeah. Mario's yeah, yeah. the it would be. Yeah, yeah there it would be Mario. Could have gone no. that way. Yeah. Would you be the arms or would you be the legs? <laughs> no, Mark would be Mario and Theo would be probably Peach. That's cute. Mm -hmm. I, oh, you know what? I, I would be Mario and then you would be Peach, but you'd be wearing like a Bowser outfit that's holding Peach running away and I have to like chase after you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a thruples costume. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> no. Oh wait, no. You would be Mario. Theo would be Peach, and Laura would be Bowser or Larry. <laughs> we talk about the important stuff here on the podcast. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Got to be straight on that. Where are you sitting? What are you eating? <laughs> what are you dressing up as for Halloween? What Christmas presents did you get? Who are you crushing on? You know, game stuff. That's also my favorite question. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, Johnny, I want to know what it felt like on your end, like adding another character to this kind of like established dynamic, if you felt like it made the mystery more unpredictable or if you felt like you could kind of anticipate the way the characters were going to relate to each other. I could not anticipate the way the characters were going to relate to each other, even kind of. It was very scary. It was weird and odd and surprising in ways that I didn't expect it to be, but it was also exciting and dynamic and rewarding in ways that I didn't expect it to be. Oh, that's proud of us. 
Yes. <laughs> Tiff fit in so well. She did fit in really well. And like of the players and characters to guest on this show, it wasn't it was a really natural fit because for reasons unclear even to me, I had already introduced Captain Torres as part of Casey's backstory. Yeah. So that was just natural. But then yeah, you came in and played a really good, compellingly um consistent uh <laughs> Frustrating for Casey. <laughs> a recognizable version of, of Tiff that, that still fit in with the adult world, but brought enough of that like angst that still felt uh, fresh and different, but also of a piece with the kind of emotional bullshit that you guys get up to and bogged down by. The other thing, and I've said this before, but I will never not say it, like the fact that, that Tiff was like, I don't want to be there. I'm going to leave and like split the party Mm -hmm. in a game like Dungeons and Dragons. That would make me furious. Like there was a there was a moment early on. I don't you may remember this, uh, Sarah, in Monsterville where like an adventure hook showed up at in the lunchroom at the high school and someone was like, hi, there's something going on with my girlfriend's stepdad. Can you help me? And the characters were all like. No, I have basketball practice. And that kind of shutting down of the usual dynamics of this kind of play in those uh, like achievement based games or task based games as the game master, I'd be like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? But in this game, it's just like, okay, then something else happens to you. You go over here and we'll see how that works out. And it has a good playing field then for rife for drama. <laughs> yeah. And it actually wound up working really well for, like you say, the drama of why did you leave us? But also the fact that then the people who were in the house disappeared and only Tiff was left on the other side. So it was, it was perfect and it was great. And... I was I was very nervous about it, but it, I think it turned out really well. What what were your feelings, Johnny, when Tiff and her team just like left to go to a club, and we got all split up? Un, unsurprised, like I think <laughs> based on based on what I, I know, know about Tiff. <laughs> yeah, based on what I knew about Tiff going in and the way that Sarah had been playing her as a grown up, it's like look at the facts at hand. Why would she stick her neck out for these people in any capacity? She's got a goal, and that goal is to make these people not be scared of her anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and those people is not you guys. Well, and to also keep her team safe, because, I mean, it was like a full-on right. other dimension, and, like, they had no idea. She didn't want to pull them into that, so made a lot of sense. That was definitely a motivation. Um, so my final question is for Lauren. Um, like you said, Kara really stuck her neck out for Tiff and is kind of taking a gamble on her. I'm curious if she was worried that there would be potential like blowback from the group for it, particularly Casey. I think Kira knew that going in that like getting Casey to get back into the good graces of Tiff was going to be a whole thing because she knows <laughs> she knows Casey very well. And so she's like, I, I know this is going to be like, contention later down the road but she also knows that like if i vouch for tiff the rest of the group will come along they have that dynamic they have that trust there and so she's like if i if i say that like we can trust you they'll they'll trust me so and that's what i think she says in the episode she's because i know that i have that trust there with the rest of the group by extension they'll learn to trust you so it's kind of just like a <laughs> it was a reciprocal thing where she's like i know this is going to be there's going to be some we're going to have to work on it but we can get there and 
they'll be willing to go along with it. Plus, like, what options do we have? Like, right. we don't have any allies in the drum, really, besides Tiff. I mean, at the end of the Double Cross arc, you know, we do take home some of Cross's team um, mm-hmm. who were in the drum, but some of them weren't even Ears agents to begin with. They were just straight up Cross's operatives. So they probably didn't have as much intel and you were a very good ally to have. So I think that made sense to Kira. Was Kira afraid of Tiff turning against us? Like if we turned so much against her, could Tiff have turned into a a villain or an enemy? Ooh. Well, I don't think that ever really was like a concern for Kira. I think the possibility of that being a thing, like if we, I guess in a, I guess I'll say this in Kira's mind, if somebody didn't reach out to Tiff and actually try to work with her and help her and extend that trust to her, maybe she would become an enemy. Mm-hmm. And so I think in Kira's mind, it was now I'm gonna nip this in the bud. Like we need her, we need her, and I think she needs us. So I think she kind of maybe saw that. Just one more piece of evidence to the theory that. Kira watches Naruto. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> there is a character who realizes that this person is what I would have been if no one had reached out and trusted me. Yeah. Yep. Shocked that I was able to communicate that so succinctly. No, thank you. Thank you. That makes a lot more sense. But no, totally. I think she she could see she could see the writing on the wall and she can see like either Tiff is gonna be put into a position where she's going to have no allies and she's going to be working with the drum or she'll just get killed by the drum or she could turn against us. Like that's, those were the options. And it was like, what's the the best outcome here? And it was, let's work together. So yeah. Cute. Wholesome. Maya, we're going to start with you. (laughs) At the beginning of episode 14, we find out that Tessa has returned and is standing directly in front of us as we exit the hallway. Maya, as Casey, uh, what were your immediate feelings following this turn of events? What the fuck, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> that that was that was it. <laughs> we might have talked about this the last covering the story. I believe Lauren knew something was up, and I did I not. Knew. I did not know, and you can totally tell that I did not know because I correct Johnny very sassily about Cosmo's gender, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's like, well, fine, fuck you, here's Tessa, and I'm just like, grips table, falls to the floor, like, what? what? Maya, that's not the pronouns that I use for my van. Me, that is so not the point. <laughs> right? That's like exactly it. I was really confused i was i think the first couple emotions that came across was confused suspicious kira kira and i are both like is that hold on can it can we tell if there's something weird about the situation (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i i was immediately suspicious casey was very suspicious and confused and i will say this this expands past were you you happy at all (sighs) i feel like (laughs) That feels like an answer. <laughs> I feel like happy is too strong of a word. Cause like because of everything that's already happened to Casey and everything, like it's like, okay, yeah, but it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. 
Um, and like, this is going to expand a little bit past what you're asking me in this question, but <laughs> Casey is still a little suspicious, like still a little bit too good to be true. But like, if she's, she's here. So like, like, why not take a chance and try? But there's still a little bit of Casey in me that's just like, when's the shoe going to drop? That makes sense. Okay. So on another note. Uh, in episode 17, how hard was it to tell Mark that you were moving to Chicago? By you, I assume you mean Theo. Yes, sorry, me, Mark. <laughs> it was really hard to tell all of you. Who was the hardest? Yeah, who was the hardest, Maya? <laughs> who do you love the most? <laughs> Honestly, I think telling Kira was the most. Because mm-hmm. yeah. Theo was really nervous to like offend or let down kira and then like telling mark it was just i think straight up scary yeah did you think that mark was gonna have a negative reaction to it no it was just like it would have been a lot easier to move to chicago if theo wasn't friends with any of you guys (laughs) (laughs) like it was just nervous i think by telling you guys made it real Mm -hmm. like saying it into the air would make it happen and the way that everything shook out kind of sucked. Like the way Theo had to tell you all and how she immediately left after Casey's house events. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a lot of stuff going on at the time, too. Just personal stuff, too. So I'm sure that telling us wasn't the only thing that was on your mind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's the two questions for Maya. Let's move on to Lauren. Uh, in episode 17, Mark and Anna go to Greg's Talking Shop, <laughs> also known as the phone store. My favorite. Uh, what was your reaction to Mark trying to uh, use mental dominion to get you a discount on a new phone? Mm-hmm. And to further that, at what point did you realize that Mark was completely oblivious to your attempts to flirt? So to answer the first part, the reaction to using mental dominion, I mean, I think Anna kind of touched on that a little in the episode where she was just kind of like, did you think that was necessary? Like kind of more like just kind of questioning him. Just like, wait a minute, what? Well, because Kira <laughs> does has done that. She has that ability and she Anna has always witnessed it being used for bad things. Um, and so in this instance, this was used purely for like, I just get her a fucking flip phone <laughs> or something like it was kind of harmless. But yeah. I think she was kind of just like, why did you need to do that? This kind of was more her reaction more than anything. And I think also a little bit just like, be careful. Like, you don't want to use this for the wrong reasons. So I think she was just kind of trying to um, get a little bit of perspective on that. Sure. Because, and I, and I think this actually comes up in um, the episode in when they're in Chicago, Kira uses her mental dominion powers again. And... It's not so pretty. <laughs> and and Anna <laughs> yeah. speaks speaks on it then too, where she's kind of just like, uh, I think she's avoiding Kira in that episode. And she like, then Theo tries to like use her memory thing to to uh, wipe Blink's memory. And she does speak up to that and is like, no, 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 no. We have enough of people trying to fuck with people's minds like without their consent. Can we? Uh... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so she doesn't feel good about it. Like she... Uh, she thinks it's dangerous and I'm also trying to think was was this at a point where Mark was still struggling with like knocking before basically shooting his mind ideas into people's heads or was this way after <laughs> that the... was that's most of Mark's career I was just gonna say I, I mean, that, that's I was, a okay, continuous okay, fair, struggle Mark <laughs> fair 
guilty. But yeah, it was probably happening more frequently back then. I guess on the other hand, too, like with that, though, like it was kind of a neutral point overall, but like she could see the positive of like, oh, like he just did that really nice thing for me. That's so sweet. And then like on the other hand, she's like, no, but that's a bad thing that he just did. So like it's kind of a net neutral. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so you, <laughs> Mark had Anna analyzing the entire time. <laughs> sure. Okay. But then I think um, at what point did she realize that Mark was completely oblivious to her attempts to flirt? Uh, when she was trying to give him the tattoo. <laughs> I, I listened to that back today and yeah, 100%. <laughs> That's kind of what I... Mark awkward. was very oblivious to it and like Anna was... I think, well, I think she even like said something maybe in the earlier episode where she's like, oh, like it's like super cute or something like that. And you kind of were just like, ah, what? what? You're flirting <laughs> with me? It was uh, apparent to her that like he wasn't picking up on it. I think he just, I think she was also just kind of like watching some of the interactions of like you and Theo. And she was just like, okay, yep. yep. Nope, there's Boundaries. something there. Yeah. And Anna, yep. I've said it before that Anna's not the type of person to like cock block. No, no, she's not there for that. <laughs> well, and like, she's not going to chase somebody who mm-hmm. is like in- invested in somebody else. Like that to her doesn't seem fun. Like she wants somebody that's going to be invested in her. And so that was, I think that was kind of her, her whole view on all of that. So yeah, so she moved on pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good episode. Uh, jumping back a little bit to episode 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Anna uh, gets her body for the first time, um, did you playing as Kira feel uh, as though she lost kind of a part of herself? Or was there some relief that, or was it just like focused on Anna completely? Like she was relieved now that Anna has an opportunity to experience life physically. I've talked about this a little bit that I think for Kira, it was like, this is actually a good thing for Anna. Like, even though it like hurts and like, it it I think it definitely it felt like she was losing a a part of herself. I mean, she kind of is. That it was ultimately like I want to give Anna the life that we never had, like an opportunity to have mm-hmm. a good life. Anna had spent so much time looking out for Kira that this was a little bit of Kira's way to repay the favor, but also keep her safe from Kira because Kira just I think I mentioned this in maybe one of our AMAs that Kira. Um, like the there was a period of time when Anna had was dormant basically in Kira's mind, and mm-hmm. it was because of something that Kira had did. So she didn't want to lose Anna uh, right. like that again. And so that was a protection. Thing. It was a protective thing for both Anna, but also for herself. Like yep. she was like, I can't lose you again. Like I'm going to you'll be safer in your own body, type thing. And I think Johnny RP'd it where Anna was actually the one that I think was a little bit more struggling with the separation of the two yeah. because it was like, I feel like I'm losing you. It was very and cute. So that Leaving was, home. Yeah. So it was, that was very sad. Um, but I, I think, and so I think, uh, you know, with Anna, she, she's kind of like, how do I function now? Because I'm, uh, this is just new. I've never really had this autonomy in this quite in this way before so it's sort of like just her kind of trying to figure out you know where does she want to go what is what's her what's anna's deal (laughs) so i don't know i thought it was a be fun to try out the two characters (laughs) (laughs) well on on that note uh and this kind of bridges into my questions for johnny uh in retrospect did you foresee anna 
getting her own body. And over the course of the next few episodes after she did get her body uh, was your and I was talking to to Lauren a little bit prior to this mm-hmm. and it sounded like it was kind of a, a joint effort in creating this character and stuff. Uh, but was yeah. your original uh, thought for this character envisioned in this way and, and as how it, bad did i do bringing her yeah to life? i was like bringing her <laughs> bringing her to life is it in line with kind of what you thought it was going to be or did it grow into something else the process of bringing her to life went uh really smoothly suspiciously smoothly you might say mm-hmm. weird <laughs> i can now sort of no longer remember the exact circumstances or reasons for anna popping up in kira's head and memory but like that part of Kira's story and the the al- the alternate I have personality. The original RP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I think it's again one of those things that it's like you do an archaeologist brush here where you kind of like scrape down and sort of see what you can what comes up in the role playing and in the improv. And then you go back and you're like, okay, if that happened, what would make sense to make it make sense? So from the beginning, I think Anna was always just going to be in my head a voice in Kira's head. Like that's that's her role. That's fine. She's this NPC. It's very un- It's very odd and kind of spooky, but works and she's nice. And then, but then, yeah, we had to, the nature of the game that when Lauren was going to take the level up to take, uh, a, play a second hunter. And then we had to figure out what the abilities would be and how that makes sense. And then it was sort of this, the same thing of getting Mark's divine situations in place. It's like, you ha- will have to follow the the fiction and the system and see where is an appropriate point to to bring them in sure and as i sort of uh alluded to with my question for lauren that like there is i think i can i can imagine in the fandom a like pretty distinct obviously demarcation between what anna was like when she lived in kira's head and what anna is like now Mm -hmm. i never played her as flirty (laughs) No, I did. You That's did. not true. You did. I did play her as very flirty. You did. Back in season one, which the listeners never listened to, the whole reason that I even RP'd having a crush on Mark was because that was a you creation. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> something I did. That's true. That's true. That's true. I'll take that. But no, it's been it's been you know obviously really interesting to watch her grow and evolve. As it's been interesting to watch all of you guys grow and evolve. And the other thing that I keep saying that's so cool about telling a story in this way is that you guys as stars and writers are like really plugged into the characters and how they would act for realistic reasons, which sort of gets around a lot of the problems that TV shows had. TV shows like this have in that they are, each character is controlled by a small group who controls all of the characters. So sometimes there is like, you can tell a character only acted this way because the writers ran out of ideas. But when you guys (laughs) act in a way, it's because Anna hasn't been alive very long and she's trying to blaze a path in this new world that she's never been in before, that she's maybe becoming scared I don't have a place here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was also interesting too, like trying to figure out, like this is a little bit behind the curtain stuff, but like trying to figure out what sort of playbook she should play as. Yeah. There's, it's, I'm, I'm glad I ended up going with the more of like the custom one of the, um, the protector because like none of the ones really felt like her, yeah. like on, like of the core playbooks. And like I was, I think I was even considering doing like a weird thing with like the pararomantic at one point, where it was mm-hmm. like you were. she was bonded to Kira in that way. 
Um, but then there was the whole side of, of that where it was like uh, they would have their bond could be like suffer or something. And I was like, that that fundamentally feels wrong to me. Like yeah. <laughs> it, it just didn't feel right like to have that be threatened. Um, so he ended up going with the protector and it, I think it worked out. Yeah, I was going to say it, the, the transition between what you guys decided and stuff was exquisite as johnny would say (laughs) (laughs) all right uh next big question for johnny uh and feel free not to answer this one but over the course of this arc which hunter has caused you the highest amount of stress (laughs) i freak out about all my children equally i mean mean, in a way tiff honestly just because Because the inclusion of her was such a experiment and like <laughs> she's the she was the wild card. Like what is Tiff gonna do? Yeah, and it's it's such an odd wrench to throw into things and like because it was it was all it was a little bit of like being like, Hey, do you wanna come see my bad play? That it was like <laughs> I want to ask Sarah to guess, but that's like a weird thing to kind of do. And then be like, we're going to do this weird thing. And then is it going to like, is it going to be Sarah just sitting there while these three play this game? Well, also like it could have broken the game and us because like we'd been playing for like Tiff could have killed over us. a year and like taking a chance to introduce a fifth player, not even a fifth player, but a friend. Like we were, I, th- I think that was the beginning of our friendship, but it was just like, okay, we're going to make or break this friendship. <laughs> Thanks, Maya. I, I hadn't even worried. thought about it that way. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, was there an underlying, an underlying secret we didn't know about where you were going to like sabotage our game? <laughs> yeah, my plan that was to later. kill you all. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers. There's man. still an arc three. Love it. <laughs> no, I got time. All right, let's see. Oh, look it. I have questions for Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) What was your initial thoughts of the author's offer to join the team? Excitement, caution, or pure bloodlust? (laughs) Mine or two? (laughs) Um, Both. Both. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. I, Sarah, was very excited uh, because... (laughs) As we all know, I've been a fan of the author. Um, <laughs> just through. Yep. <laughs> don't give me, don't put that out of context. Do not put that out of context. All I knew about her was that she was a mean woman, and I was like, cool, love it. You know, I'd listen to some <laughs> of your guys' preliminary recordings, and I was like, who's this bitch on the phone? Uh, yeah, so I was excited that Tiff was going to get to interact with her because I was like, hmm. Two villainous women, but uh, I think Tiff was probably like shitting her pants to get that text because she was like, what does this mean? Like, what's her angle? I was going to ask because like, I think in the episode, you uh, after you get the offer, you you, you kind of take a step back and you're like, I'm going to need some time on this. I mean, she was definitely like very flattered. I think she was like genuinely like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I've been noticed. And okay. I've been noticed for the qualities that like everybody else hates about me. So sure. like that's kind of nice. But she was definitely very suspicious and distressful because, mm-hmm. you know, she and all many of her closest friends, former, she doesn't have any currently, uh, mm. are monsters and magical. So she's not about that life. I mean, except the queen. The queen is there. Yeah. Um, in episode 20, Tommy is being attacked by the queen Concealed. I had originally write canceled, um, but I changed <laughs> <Not> that. that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kira was desperately trying to get you to call off the attack. 
what was Tiff's feeling? Or what was Tiff feeling like in that moment <laughs> of being told what to do by the queen concealed or whatever? But then also, Lauren is looking at me like, "Yeah, Tiff, what was the reason?" <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if you know, but that's kind of my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Tiff, Tiff has had a very tumultuous history with uh, the Sparks brothers. Uh, nope. Namely, she doesn't like them and she still doesn't like them as adults because she doesn't have a reason to. I think she definitely like was siding with the queen much more than she should have uh, <laughs> and was kind of like, well, I mean, you guys are like guests in this space. So like it makes sense that she'd be suspicious. And she definitely uh, is not good at standing up to the queen and always wants to be on her good side. She's like a teacher's pet. So it's kind of like balancing on a on a beam there. It's like I don't want to yeah. exert my power and get punished yeah. or whatever. Then there's Kira who's like, oh, can you like can you like let us out of here? Like, oh, well, the queen can do that. No, but why don't you do it? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can, you can. She's like, don't. Go against the queen. Don't it's make fine. me. <laughs> don't make me choose sides here because it's going to be the queen. Yeah. You're not going to like the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. I'll ask one more question. Uh, what was Tiff's initial thought of Mark? Significant, insignificant. <laughs> Because I think the only interaction that I really had that was of significance was the the line at the party where I was like, oh, yeah, we could like be together as a distraction. And you're like, there's a big flaw in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Tiff like hadn't hadn't really like noticed or thought about Mark uh, up until then. Uh, <laughs> and then I think at that point she was just like, really? <laughs> I'm kind of like, Who, who's this guy? And uh <laughs> How unobservant is he? Oh, very Fantastic. frustrated annoyance. <laughs> I, th I do think like the other thing to point out that also comes in accidentally from Tiff's characterization as being a character in a different game, like all of the stuff that make Mark super weird is like not that weird to Tiff. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Like, okay, his eyes are on fire, but he's still got a human head. C call me when it's a dog, okay? <laughs> yeah. Or a bird skull. She just kind of wrote him off as some dude. Well, Sarah, mm -hmm. Casey and Tiff left things a little tense. Since you asked me, how's Casey feeling about Tiff? How's Tiff feeling about Casey? <laughs> right back at Both you. Both of you asking questions. <laughs> How do you think we feel about each other? <laughs> what do you think? Do you like me? Check yes or no. I'm thinking for a minute because I'm trying to remember exactly where they left off. I think she's definitely pissed at Casey. I think her feelings are kind of hurt. I think she genuinely does not understand at all. Casey's decision to stay behind with the house. I think it was like frustrating for her. And I think the the level of piss that Casey got at Tiff for it, I think I think Tiff is genuinely surprised and confused by that too. And I think she's left feeling pretty reactionary about it because she's like, well, I thought this was like a cool kind of hot girl uh, on my level likes to shoot things with guns and she's mad at me for doing the logical thing. Like, what the fuck? Okay, fine. I won't talk to you ever again then. Uh, yeah. I think that's where she's at. Well, and also like uh, Casey straight up was like levying some pretty serious like allegations against Tiff, like kind of implying that like sh maybe she meant to like have the dream dive accident to happen out. Yeah. I Yeah, I think Tiff was really... Like, oh, okay, you're, you know, you see me as a monster, I get it. Casey and Tiff never, I mean, given Casey actually finally found out what happened, 
in the dream dive when during her training like a year or something ago. I think never has confronted Tiff about it and maybe never really, really processed it. I definitely think that if Kira hadn't stepped in, we probably would have started killing each other. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I think it would <laughs> Yay, Kira! <laughs> Thanks, Kira! <laughs> We're both the kind of people that like don't don't tell us what to do. Being that you've played a majority of Tiff as a teenager, now that you've played a her older, do you have a favorite and a least favorite or like an easier or hardest uh, part of playing Tiff as an adult? Yeah, I think it's hard having to like rein her in a little bit. It's really fun like playing a character with like, you know, poor impulse control. Uh, Mark? No. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> well, speaking of Mark, um, uh -oh. what was the hardest thing that Mark had to face, in your opinion, during Act 2? I'm more so mean, like, you know, emotionally and psychologically, but if you want to take the easy way yeah, out, yeah, I guess yeah, it could yeah. be a monster. <laughs> it's kind of split between two things. Like, emotionally, at Mark's core, probably Theo going to Chicago. Oh, I think that when when you told him that it was just like an instant, like, that's not going to be a part of my life anymore. And it just like it hit him like a wall, kind of. Well, you're really good at hiding it. <laughs> and well, because he didn't want to make her like he wants her to like do what she wants to do. And like if that was going to Chicago, Mark didn't want to make it hard for her. You're hap putting her happiness above his own. That's what we call love, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Finding out that Mark was a prince was also a little bit of a big pill to swallow, but it was more of like excitement opportunity. I don't know what's going to happen next type of worry maybe a little is, bit of relief there's a little bit of relief it was more positive but yeah for for the theo situation that was <laughs> a bigger pill to swallow I have a couple of hard-hitting uh accusatory questions next who are those for <laughs> <laughs> well they're for you of course you brought back faces and sigma with tessa mm -hmm. why mm -hmm. the fuck did you do that <laughs> also if it's not clear enough i hate him <laughs> Because you could have just brought only Tessa back. <laughs> it made a lot of sense. Lies. <laughs> I knew how much you hated him. And I liked him. I like. I liked... There was a lot of nuance to him in season one that, like, sadly never made its way to any kind of air. But, like, there was an implication that he was doing this for his family. And there was an implication that his family was also itself a kind of found family of misfits like him. I really liked him as a like a understandable scoundrel. Like he was doing bad shit, but he was in a really bad situation. And just like also I like him as a um, that part of him as a reflection of Casey of like, I'm a violent person with a violent job and I'm great at it because of how good I am at violence. This is my skill. This is what I have to offer. What else am I supposed to do? So I, and because that whole thing tied up so well, and I just, I just loved the idea of like torturing me. Well, giving you what Bringing you want him back in my life, <laughs> basically a mixed success and as if it was a role playing yeah. device. Yeah. yeah. Gi giving you exactly what you want. At kind a cost. Of. Plus yeah. it made a ton of sense for, if he didn't do that thing, if he didn't 
kill her, then erase your memory of him killing her. What else would he have been up to? And it made a ton of sense that if that if she didn't die, that means that his plan, that his assassination failed and his organization wouldn't accept that. And it just made it made a ton of sense for them to like him to go on the run and then her to also eventually go on the run. And then the two of them to find out about each other and be like, you're on the run from the same people and for the same reason that I am. We can help each other. And they did. I'll be honest, I totally forgot that he is a broken family, but, you know, whatever. Um, I do want to kind of ask sort of a follow-up question. Is there anything between him and Tessa? Absolutely not. She's gay. Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> He's also, I don't know if the... I hope that I've just been vibing this. He's also significantly older than her. Like, he's yeah. probably late 40s. Definitely much more of a, like, broken father-daughter on the run, Last of Us type yep. thing. Okay. Uh, was there a scene or a character in this second act that you were nervous about? Like, whether it's, like, introducing or playing out? Well, I've already touched on Tiff quite a lot, but I think I was nervous about Cross because... Yeah. I wanted you guys to like him in Chicago and then I wanted you to hate him in Double Cross. But I, you can't change the character. Like right. you can't like it's if you do it like that and it's a, a face heel turn, then it's like it's jarring and weird. But like if I can just play the guy the same way, but now you just know different facts about him. That's so much more interesting. Mm -hmm. That's much, much more fun. So he was he was a tough balance. You succeeded very well on that, like listening back to it and editing it like jaw on the floor, like we were definitely like suspicious, yeah. but we didn't dig deep enough into who he is. He was helping to, us like, enough to be like, you know what, you're you're being useful yeah. to us in this moment. And yeah, same him to you that like I, it, it was very important to me that it not be an ally in the first part and an enemy in the second part. I wanted it to be the same guy who's just like, I'm now done pretending like you're useful. Mm -hmm. I'm, st I'm still, I'm still like this. I, I, that was, that was something that I, I was worried I was going to screw up and I, I think I did. Okay. I'd love hate him. Oh, you did amazing. He did more yeah. than okay. Following up on this line of questioning is, was his intention then like, because he was clearly going to, like, go after Kira's abilities and uh, presumably Mark and Theo's. Was he just, like, going to take them and leave them and then just, like, uh, with, with like, Casey? Like, because she wasn't in that vision at all that, like, that he had. I assume you should kill her. Was he going to have to kill yeah, her? he was or? going to have to kill her, okay, absolutely. Yeah. But it, it makes total sense. She's here on a very dangerous mission. She's getting herself mixed up with the Council of Many. If someone like that dies, okay. that's going to be cost of doing business. Yeah, what he was doing is what he does. That's that would have been showing initiative. Mm -hmm. I feel like regardless, I mean, like if his plan worked, went out or like whatever, like he would have to kill Casey. I know Johnny yep. had said that she is his biggest threat and like Casey would be a train in that revealing like the truth. So there's nothing that he could have done except for killing her. And that is what I meant when I said Casey's his biggest threat that like... In the same way that you were, you ended the Chicago arc administratively, there was a world where what you do is like somehow get him exposed and 
deal with him that way. But that's not your world. Yeah. Well, apologies for asking this kind of follow-up question with that. Is that Casey had told Jesse, like, she was going to Chicago and et cetera. So, like, say we were all killed. Casey was killed. I mean, would Cross have taken into, like, his calculations, like, he would also have to deal with Jesse? Or is that an unknown? Jesse would have been the same category as everybody else in here. It's just like, I'll come up with a plausible story for how she died that does or does not involve me. We, we will have gone someplace and I was the only survivor of the encounter. And, you know, if Davis doesn't want to believe this about his sister, then maybe he should take a look at uh, alternate universes because that's what he maybe thinks he's in. Not so subtle implication that I think he's crazy. It would be his word. It would be... Jesse's word against Cross. Jesse versus Cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking hate that guy. Speaking <laughs> of characters' intentions, was Jacob's intentions honest with bringing Theo to Chicago? Yes. I mean, it's that thing of this is something that's happening in the middle of the season, and the Maya Dutchin as Theo and Casey keeps showing up in the opening credits. Like, you had not decided to retire your character. If you had, that would have been okay. But... Can I say I'm 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 pleased with the family construction you created for the Nessos. Like oh, you gave me a lot of different interesting characters to play around with and a lot of different interesting ways that they seem to fit into the into the family dynamic, which is honestly the most interesting way to think about packs of characters like that is like what's what's their biggest relationship and how do they embrace or reject it? Mm-hmm. And like down the line they all roll different. So Jacob has been an interesting concept as someone who I think you thought we would never see because he had moved away. Yeah, I more so was like, oh, Johnny might bring him to Chicago or bring him to Minnesota. But right. like he's also the character and the sibling in the family. Yes. It doesn't come home unless it's a holiday, maybe. Because in a family like that, there is going to be one. But yes, he he was he was he was honest. He was sincere. And then this is kind of like an overarching general question about uh, TTRPGs to you, Johnny. What is your favorite part of a session or a mystery? Like, is it listening to your players RP? Is it a scene you've prepared? Is it the fight? It's profile mode. Like it's. <laughs> oh my god. Fav- my favorite part is universally when one of you truly surprises me that says or does something that follows logically from what's happened so far, but I could not have seen coming. That's my favorite part. And then the corollary from that is the process of having to integrate that surprise and that new information that we just made up into whatever else has already happened. And if it's not already been clear, that's what profile mode is. That when I'm like, you said something that has not been mentioned that is an utterly new piece of information. But if I combine it with this existing piece of information and then I invent this third piece of information, mm-hmm. all of that changes everything. Yeah. I, I, I love that we we pointed out profile mode and now you're defining it. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a thing and it's a, it's a very distinct <laughs> moment and kind of thought that I do. All of this is too much information. I have to go to my mind palace and my mind palace is over there. Yeah, it's always that direction too. It's never the other way. Uh, all right, well, moving on. Um, Lauren, I have a couple mm-hmm. of questions for you uh, as Kira and Anna. Anna has tried a lot of firsts when being brought to life. What was her first first and what was something what is something that she has yet to try? 
My first first. I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) Uh, Getting dinner with Kira and Tommy probably was her first. Like going out to a restaurant was probably one of the first things that she did because I think Kira mentioned that she was going to do like a a proper like introduction for Kira or for Anna and uh, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was probably her first thing was going out to eat, and which just sounds so mundane. Something she's yet to try. There's so many things she has yet to try. Do you think she has a bucket list? I don't think it's like an, a formal list, but it's sort of just like anything that she hasn't tried. She's kind of like, oh, I'll try that. Like, is she looking forward to doing her taxes this year? That would <laughs> that would be the bane of her existence. <laughs> Uh, I think she'd be like, I don't have to do taxes, right? Right, Ramsey Lincoln? (laughs) Right, Lincoln Ramsey? I don't have to do taxes. That's not a thing I have to do. But yeah, no, I think she's pretty much game to try whatever. With the caveat of, does is this something that sounds fun and interesting and new? (laughs) If it's not, then she's kind of just like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do that part of being human. (laughs) So... Mm So revealing Anna to the rest of the team wasn't on Kira or Anna's terms. Uh, If you got the chance, how would Kira have liked to introduce Anna to the rest of the group? Yeah, I feel like it probably would have been um, a lot more like we probably would have had like a like a dinner party of some sort or something and had everybody over who, you know, who to get a chance to introduce her to Anna Probably would have nerdily like been like, oh, like here are some facts to know about Anna, and like, <laughs> like you know, just like things to know about her, and getting everybody up to speed on who this person is that they've never really met. They've just kind of heard about her. Fun facts on like little napkins, <laughs> yeah, <do> at a <laughs> wedding. or like, or like she would have went around everybody, been like, you should like ask Anna some questions. Like Aww, if you could do that to like have have the conversation like run a little smoothly, and none of that happened. So yeah, and it left. I mean, Kira feeling. Like she did something wrong. Anna feeling like cool imposter. I happy to be here, guys. Um, I'm just trying to live. Like, sorry, that was apparently bad. My last question and the last question for this discussion. I've always wanted to know uh, why Kira wanted the connection back with the creator. Like, why, why did you want that? And, like, what, what was going on through, like, Kira's head? It was, I think, in the same vein of, like, Theo thinking that this isn't working. I, like, need to grab, like, something that would maybe help me control the situation or be more powerful. It's that kind of protective reactionary gut instinct of, like, a lot of bad things had just happened in quick succession in that episode where she Kira had lost control of herself. She didn't know like kind of her own true nature. Things were going to shit with Casey and Tommy and she wanted answers and she kind of was just like, okay, the creator can give me answers. There's power there. Maybe I can use it. And naively, she reached out to him and it ultimately hasn't really done it, led anywhere because the connection has uh, kind of been subdued because she hasn't done any of the jobs <laughs> that he's asked her to do <laughs> so it turned out to be fine right but yeah, I think yeah. It, was, it was definitely a uh she was in a bad place and was trying to get control by tapping in his power basically mm-hmm. so she's got control issues 
Well, those were a lot of questions, and that was a lot of things that happened this arc. I have one more question, <laughs> I think, to close us out. Yeah. So I wanted to ask for everybody. I guess, what's been, like, your favorite monster or villain that Johnny has made and, like, had us encounter so far? And Sarah, you can say what uh, tips would be for Monsterville if you want. I think, for me, as much as I fucking hate the guy... <laughs> All of my favorite monsters are, well, they're, they're more proper villains than they are. Jerk of the Sometimes. Yeah, Jerk of the Sometimes podcast. All of mine, I think, are actually, like, as much as I hate them, they are very good and compelling villains. It's probably Cross and Rex that are up there at the moment. Mm-hmm. Are, my, are my faves slash I hate them. i half agree cross is probably my favorite villain i want to hate him i do hate him but fuck why it's a very entertaining uh (sighs) it was a good like gate into the unraveling that is the finale Mm -hmm. yes what about you john or sarah my favorite was definitely um in monsterville lady of the locks Mm-hmm. she's so cool and creepy personal point of pride that that I, I i would have to agree with you on that one thank you i've heard about the lady she is cool and also horrifying <laughs> <laughs> i had a lot of fun with her she gave me like other mother vibes from Coraline. yes, yes that was that was by design i think i even yeah. name checked her when i introduced her <laughs> yeah but like then you gotta keep if, if you say that you got to play that. I think the red noise, honestly, because it was Ooh. it was something that Mark created. Uh, well, <laughs> it was all me. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, wrong. no, it uh, check out the season one recap, everybody. It was very horror kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Like I was hiding in the woods and this thing just kind of came out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> run. And uh that was kind of a turning point for Mark too, with the the eyes and everything in that area. So that's true. I have to say that was pretty unique. I'm retconning everything that I'm just saying. My favorite villain has been Donovan. <laughs> I was just saying, oh yeah, you forgot that he started as a villain. Yeah, mm. I love him. I love how far he's come, and with Kira, anyway. <laughs> if it weren't yeah. for Kira, he'd probably still be a villain, but... He's a good comeback story villain. Mm-hmm. Speaking of villains, Johnny, will you sign us out? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, you're a monster. Well, thank you, the four of you, and also everybody to the listening public for joining us on Book Club as we reminisce about Act 2 of the Cover Story campaign. In two weeks, we'll be back with another proper episode. And we will be going into our final act of the season with a special guest. Yay. Tiff's coming back, you guys. Whoa. We have her for the finale. Will the night terror ship commence? Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) This has been the Monsters Playbook featuring John Wander as Mark Clayton. Lauren Johnson as Anna and Kira Ashwood. Maya Dutchin as Casey Davis and Theo Nessos. Sarah Baker as Tiff Torres. And Johnny Grubb as literally everybody else. Our theme song is by me, Johnny Grubb. The Monsters Playbook is produced and engineered by Maya Dutchin and edited by Maya Dutchin and Lauren Johnson. If you liked this episode, please tell a friend. 
We love friends. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Monsters Playbook, and on Twitter at Monster Playbook, and on Web 1.0 at MonstersPlaybook.com. And come hang out with us on Discord. We're fun! We'll see you next episode where, as always, I'll have some good news and some bad news. Thanks for listening. Ah, shit. Johnny? Johnny? Did he just leave? <laughs> Johnny was like, fuck these guys. <laughs> um, this Johnny? Is going great. This is going so well. Is anybody messaging him? Or I'll else? message him. <laughs> He's back. Hang on. <laughs> I hit the wrong quit. <laughs> This is Johnny's actual recording for Book Club Act 2. <laughs> this is horrible. No, we're going to be great. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be great. So hello and welcome to an extremely special episode of Monsterville. Not Monsterville. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> I'm all thrown off by the participation of uh, our friend Sarah. 